With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another episode of That's Rap Podcast. I am your co-host, Jay Rosales. We are recording this on Thursday, July the 23rd. We are recording this one man short. Jason is not able to join us today. However, I do have Dre on the line, and we are ready to talk some NBA basketball because guess what? Scrimmages have started, which means basketball is back. Dre, how do you feel about that? Well, I'm sure everybody, including the losing teams, unless you're the Brooklyn Nets, had a very good day yesterday because basketball is back. So far, we are seeing actual games. We're seeing the new courts. We're seeing the the layout for this COVID-19 league progression. So let's get right into it. The first game, which uh, before we actually get into it, which Jason could join us. Uh, you know, we, we love the guy, and uh, next time we're going to talk some more basketball with him. Don't don't you guys worry. So, um, anyways, the first game, I believe, was the Magic versus the Clippers. So, basically, what it looked like yesterday with the scrimmages was that we were seeing a lot of teams with experimenting lineups or just going straight forward. So, what we had was, with the Clippers anyway, a relatively straightforward lineup. Both Kawhi and Paul George played, which in the regular season, because of load management was a bit of an anomaly. So seeing that was interesting. They had the newest recruits, Joe Kim Noah, playing. And on the Clippers' side of things, when it comes to that, it looked good, but there was a tiny bit of rustiness. So even that um, that smooth pass that Paul George gave to, to Joe Kim Noah, the, re- the reception of it was a little shaky, but you know he still got the basket in, still went for a great assist. So you either saw good chemistry with a tiny bit of rustiness like this, or you saw some crazy lineups. Need I say more about the Denver Nuggets where, hello, Bull Bull is a small forward. Uh, okay. uh, uh, Nikola Jokic is a point guard, which before I, before I pass it over to you, people are going crazy about Bull Bull and his scoring. And it's like, yeah, you place a tall guy in an offensive position, he's going to score a lot. But I digress. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot to take from that. And I think that was that Denver Nuggets lineup was the epitome of what scrimmages are about, right? It, it was like <laughs> a realization to us fans who were, yes, we were excited to see basketball again, but that was the realization that this is only scrimmage, right? Let's try not to take this too seriously. I know we're excited to see basketball again, but that's exactly how Michael Malone treated it. So that's why we saw the ultra jumbo lineup or whatever he wants to call it. So uh, at the same time, really exciting to see Bull Bull. I think he kind of stole all the headlines uh, from the first day of NBA action. Um, but I also think that what we saw there from the various teams and players was 
what we expected. We we expected to see a little bit of that rustiness. We expected to see benches to be cleared out and everyone getting a little bit of run. Nothing too much to read into it, but at the same time, yeah, Bull Bull was kind of the the hit of the of the day and rightly so. <laughs> Sixteen points, ten boards, six blocks, and one random drug test. So he kind of did all the check marks there. <laughs> I, I bet you it was the threes that he was chucking because you know his his dad had that one game, the the the, the infamous game where he was just amazing behind the arc but otherwise bull bull wasn't really or minute bull rather wasn't really known for scoring um let alone yeah. from behind the arc so the nba was probably like no this is impossible we're gonna do a drug <laughs> test and a paternity test there's no way this is this is minute bull's <laughs> fun but like um nonetheless uh, you know uh as bad as it sounds to be getting a drug test that's also you know seeing that he probably hasn't taken performance and, and performance enhancing drugs it's probably fine that he, you know, kicked ass yesterday. But unfortunately, that doesn't look like a new uh, a new future for the Nuggets since he's probably coming off the bench from here on out. But we got a flash of greatness yesterday. So there yeah. you go. Yeah, I would agree. And among other notes, I think the only other thing that for me jumped out regarding the, uh, the, the scrimmage games was the Miami Heat game. So oh, yeah. if you saw the... Uh, any of the games, you'll notice that there was giant video boards uh, spanning across the court, and the Miami Heat had some. Well, I guess the NBA was testing out something that we're probably going to see a lot more of as future sc- scrimmage games come up, as well as when reseeding begins, and that is chiming in home crowd visuals, whether it's crowd yes. screaming or different chants. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, because. I, I admittedly was working while some of these games were on, so I had them on mute, but I did watch highlights. I've got to ask you, if, if you watch this live, did, did they actually toss in, like, yeet sounds when somebody would miss or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> why? <laughs> I thought that was just, like, put in Instagram videos or something. Why did they do that? <laughs> like, yeah, it's it, the, the funny thing is... Uh, during these three scrimmage games, they're going to be trying out some different things. Now, it's not to say that fans or, or anyone screaming out bruh or yeet when an air ball happens is something that we're going to see in reseeding games, let alone playoff games. It was uh, it was interesting to see. And, and I, even now, just saying it, it it's, it's quite funny. Um, but I'd like to think <laughs> that this is just an opportunity for them to try out different things, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the 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 runway that they've allowed themselves here, right? So I'm, I'm for it for these scrimmage games. Go try whatever you want to try, um, especially around. I mean, if, if we're, we're going to be trying out things and not necessarily using them, I'd go all out on these, uh, the, this home crowd thing, right? Um, yeah. Call out specific opponents and with, with specific chance, or I don't know, do something where you're calling out the referees if you want to make it that realistic. So I'm all down for this. Only for the scrimmages. I don't know if I'd necessarily say that this is something we should be hearing or seeing when the <laughs> games not. get serious, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, if worse comes to worse, if they're bringing in the boards, or like uh, the, the courts, rather, of um, of every home city, I mean, which is a hell of a lot more work, can't they just bring in like the sound clips that they do when somebody gets a, a shot in, like, let's say, in Toronto, it's like a coin sound or... Um, right 
you know, an error ball could be like if the price is right. Like there could be like, yeah. like other things like the yeet thing. Like I'm sure I'm an old bat who is not seeing the ways of the world now. And I've gotten to that age where I'm not hip anymore, but I guess this is appeasing to the, um, to the NBA 2K crowd, which, by the way, between the construction of the barbershop, the way that the courts look staggered next to each other, and I guess the sound clips and stuff, uh, this really has become like a living NBA 2K neighborhood. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, and and you know, I think you touched upon something that can be explored there, right? If you're saying, okay, let's chime in the 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 sound effects and and different crowd noises that each team uses. Why not, right? If if we're already in the age of of this being digital and people can connect worldwide via technology, why not have the Toronto Game Ops, for example, operate from here in Toronto, but still be allowed to chime in if they are quote unquote hosting a home game in the bubble? I think that yeah. that could help, right? So yeah, because I, I think uh, you touched on something there. The audience crowd noise is a little bit difficult to gauge, and that's a little synthetic, but like you could have a happy medium between that and complete silence and just the guys yelling with, you know, uh, standard tracks that would be, be played in offensive possessions, defensive possessions, like, you know, defense, defense, you know, like all of that stuff. So I don't see why that's not feasible, especially like even if they don't hear it, but it's played for us on the telecast i don't see why that's not possible right i like that idea and i think that that's something that probably works better than screaming out yeet during a an air ball so (laughs) uh, i'm I'm down for your suggestion there (laughs) Uh, the positive news actually continues coming down and by positive i actually mean negative so the nba has released the latest covid19 results and oh yes uh, the final tally is zero well at least not final tally, but the latest tally is zero positive COVID nineteen tests. That's I amazing. see what you mean now. Yeah, that that is that is fantastic. <laughs> I see what you mean by saying negative now. It's uh, okay. <laughs> well, I guess the one thing about Jason not being on here is that we can do Seinfeld references, and you know it'll make sense. Like, oh, negative. <laughs> oh, well, that's a good thing. Okay. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. And look. Will that number stay at zero? I'm not sure. Hopefully, because it's a bubble and everybody is, is doing the right thing, it should stay to, stay at zero or, or close to zero anyway. But this is fantastic, and this is exactly what makes me feel comfortable about this league going forward, is that we're not waiting for such and such player to get better while they're on the sidelines, while their team's playing. No, the scrimmages happened when they were at zero. Of course, unfortunately, a lot of uh, countries and cities have been playing with toy numbers to try and get you know better morale going, even though they're not completely accurate. So I'm hoping this is accurate, but they, uh, you know, I'm guessing that it is absolutely accurate. And if if that is the case, that's fantastic moving forward. And I hope this succeeds really because they put so much work into this. So yeah, it's very encouraging to see, and I know that there will be some naysayers who will say, well, you know, this is uh, those results are only talking about the players what about the staff and the other employees there but you know what this year has just been filled with negative news negative energy let's just take this for what it is it's it's great news right and mm-hmm. I, I think to your point there it is a step in the right direction for the nba that all of the 
safety protocols and health protocols that they're trying to institute are working. If you do hear of any positive um, results, take note of when that person tested positive because we still are hearing of some players that did test positive before they entered the bubble or if they did test positive that they are not allowed to enter the bubble or quarantining. So I, all around, it, this this does sound like the NBA is heading in the right direction and a direction that I hope other leagues can learn from and you know, outside of the sports spectrum that we can all learn from, right? So uh, it's it just find it ironic that a pl- there is a an area in Florida right now where there are no one who have tested positive yet outside of that area. It is probably the the highest density of positive tests in the world. So kudos to Adam Silver and everyone else in the NBA who made sure that this happened and, and running this so effectively. You, if you got anything to add, go ahead. No, I was just going to say quickly that that is spectacular, and I hope it stays that way because Florida as a whole – is in a bit of a frightening situation right now. And even Disney World itself, which obviously the NBA is running in the wide world of sports, which is inside the the Disney World lot, not like right next to the theme parks where people and guests are going to or anything, but it's still in the lot. Uh, You know, Florida as a whole is not doing too fantastically well, as you brought up. So um, I hope Florida as a state improves. I hope the, the United States improves. And I hope that this bubble that's being kept in, you know, this minute part of Disney World is maintained. So the league can keep going and all of these jobs can keep flourishing and the most can be made of a very, very troubling situation. So fully agree. And I think that the sporting world, as everything starts to ramp up again, it's exciting to see. And it's it's also interesting to see what other sports have been kind of taking over in the absence of our four major sports. I don't know about you, but I have been finding myself watching cornhole. I find myself watching poker. Like there's a lot of these other sports that are kind of rising up and things I would never typically watch. Mind you, poker I've always had a thing for, so that's not new for me. But cornhole and UFC. What the hell is cornhole? I, this is such an American thing, but cornhole is that game with the beanbag where they have like the that that wooden rectangle with a hole in it, and you're trying to throw that beanbag into the hole. Or is that what it. it's called? It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I I didn't know that until the the pandemic hit, and I was like, why? What is the cornhole championships that they're airing on ESPN? And I, I I'm pretty sure it. Canadians know it by another name, or I've known it as another name. Maybe I've known it as beanbag toss. I don't know. Yeah, because of Arrested Development, I've learned cornhole is something else. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess there is that. Uh, I didn't know. Yeah, beanbag toss, I guess, for us Toronto listeners. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, so that stuff that, so, that uh, Luca and, and Boban were doing in, in the backyard yes. of Disney. Okay. Yes, exactly. Or, or even to that to that point, right? Even spike ball has, has, has taken a hike there and uh, seen a spike there in, in, in the bubble. But what I was getting at was that Boxing is trying to make some sort of a, I guess, I wouldn't say comeback, but entering the 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 news lexicon again, because news today is that Mike Tyson is going to be taking part in an exhibition fight with Roy Jones Jr. Wow. So this is this is incredible because 
they're both in their 50s. Uh, Mike Tyson is 56. Roy Jones Jr. is 51. They have long since retired. Uh, Roy Jones Jr. has probably has fought more recently than Mike Tyson. So while Mike Tyson may be older, you could argue that you know Roy Jones Jr. having five years, being five years younger and a little bit closer to competitive fighting than Mike Tyson, that he might have the edge in this. Um, I got two questions for you, Jay. First of all, what are your thoughts on this? And second of all, actually, no, I've got a bigger question that you know is coming. But let me just yes. first get at your your thoughts on this on this uh, exhibition. If anybody's looking at this by age alone and they haven't seen the preemptive video of Mike Tyson's training, yeah, the guy's frightening as hell. I don't care how old he is. So, like, my money's still on Mike Tyson. Like, my money is still on Mike Tyson. I don't care how long he's been out of it. The guy, the guy's clearly, I don't know if he's just been permanently training his entire life or if he knew this was happening months before and they only just announced it but the guys are clearly ready for a fight the guy's more yeah. agile than i am and i'm 31 i feel terrible like he's not just <laughs> like a, a powerhouse he's clearly quick still he's clearly like dominant still like he's not just a power thing the guy the guy can dodge still and he's like you know the late side of 50 closer to 60 so yeah it's not an age thing this is um I can't imagine this fight being long, not because it's going to be like a, a like a, a quick knockout or anything, but like that's where I think age plays into it. Like, how are they going to go for eight rounds? Like, yeah, I, I don't yeah. see that happening. But uh, you know, if somebody's not knocked out, they might just toss in the white flag. I don't know. We'll see. But what do you yeah. think? Yeah, no, I I I agree with you there. Right, I, I, we haven't seen any Roy Jones Jr. sparring videos yet. I'm sure we will, but the Mike Tyson ones scare me now like they did 20 years ago. So I agree with you there. I think that age is not really going to be that huge of a factor, especially if it's eight rounds and not 12. Also just announced is the one of the undercards on this, and there will be several other undercards, uh, possibly a UFC fighter fighting a boxer. Uh, but one of the undercards is Nate Robinson. What? Fighting YouTube star Jake Paul. I don't know who that no. is. Oh, oh, God. Sorry, I'm just hearing <laughs> about this for the first. I, I uh, saved okay. that for you. I saved that little news bit for you. So I don't know who Jake Paul is. But you don't I definitely want to know, know who, who that probably. idiot is. You don't so, want to know who he is. So let me know. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that undercard? Nate Robinson was a Nick, and as you all know by now, I hate the Knicks, but this is one of those instances where I will side with a Nick. Nate Robinson, kick the <laughs> shit out of him, please. That's that's the only thing I'm saying about that. Next. Okay. Why? All right. So why? I can't, I can't I can't comment on this because I don't know who Jake Paul is, uh, but I'll, I'll take your word on it. Let's let's go, Nate Robinson. This is a basketball pod, so we gotta we gotta side with the basketball guy anyways, right? Basketball has nothing to do with this right now. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. But this is where I turn it into a basketball conversation. And True. the the thought of these two, and I'm referring to Tyson and, and Jones Jr. here, the thought of these two coming out of retirement and duking it out for, I, I don't know if it's just ex exhibition or if there will be some sort of uh, donation or fundraising cause behind this, but let's just assume for now that it is just an exhibition fight. But the fact that these two are coming out and they're going to, you know, cause a stir in the media frenzy and get people talking, we're talking about it. My question to you is, are there any retired 
NBA players that you'd like to see come out of retirement, like currently as they are, whatever age they are, and go one-on-one with someone else? So just as a quick reminder, you know, Mike Tyson's 56, Roy Jones Jr. is 51. I'm not saying that you need to find someone that age, pick whoever you want. But um, yeah, is is there anyone that jumps out to you that you'd like to see go one-on-one? Yeah, I actually have two answers to this, like not two people, but like four, you know, so two different pairings. Um, Because I can look at this as one of two ways. People who still have juice in them, which is yep. kind of rare in the NBA because either you stop when you're not playing at a peak level anymore, like if you're coming off the bench and you feel like your time is done, or you're, it's injury-related, so you're never going to be 100% as you once were. So looking at it, try to pick somebody who's like still quite good, but obviously quit at the right time. My first matchup I'm looking at, and I'm considering this guy retired still, even if they have that other bubble i'm not sure what's going on with that i'm looking at Dwayne (laughs) wade and vince carter because they're still both very agile and can still play really well like they were putting up great numbers considering their positions in their final years respectively so i think one-on-one that wouldn't be painful to see like i love for instance dirk Nowitzki and uh tracy mcgrady but if you see them now that would be like a different story it'd be like "Eh, that's kind of dicey right so my right. first matchup in terms of it being actually entertaining would be those two. Now entertaining entertaining for the other reason where it's just a complete mess, but you're looking at two legends. You know, you could look at like a Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal. That would be a great inside the NBA kind of thing to see them go one-on-one, except we know yeah. Chuck would be killed. Um, or you can look <laughs> at like a Chris Bosh and, and a Dirk Nowitzki where it's like, you know, it's it's the – the Mavericks and the Heat going head to head again. You know, you could look at it in many multitude of ways, but my main answer is Dwayne Wade and Vince Carter because I think that would actually be exciting. I like it. I like it a lot. I went the route of going with someone who's been retired for quite a while. Okay. And it's something that I've considered for a while uh, in terms of who the greatest shooter of all time is. And oh. the two names I landed on were Larry Bird and Peja Stojakovic. Oh, okay. It's a bit of an odd pairing because Peja Stojakovic is 20 years younger than Larry Bird. I've grown to not doubt Larry Legend. And I think even at the age of 63, he probably could take it to Peja, who's only age 43. So I'm going to go with Larry versus Peja. I was going to say something a lot to the effect of Shaq versus someone else who is retired. And, you know, there, there's no harm in, in seeing a, uh, a rematch of the, of the NBA finals and saying Shaq versus Hakeem. I'd love to see that between those two. I, I, I think that the, the Tyson Roy Jones Jr. thing has sparked the debate and hopefully it'll create some sort of a, maybe we can get like a halftime show out of it during the NBA playoffs. It's like, okay, well for the halftime show, we're going to bring Shaq and, 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 your example there, Shaq and Charles from the booth and bring them out as a halftime show. I don't know, but uh, it's interesting at least. And, and something that I, for all of us who've been craving basketball, let alone sports, we'll, we'll watch anything at this point.
is currently voting on their MVP. In fact, they're voting on all of the NBA awards. The decision was made by Adam Silver and, and the rest of the executive team that, okay, we understand that this hiatus and this pandemic has created a, you know, using their slogan, a whole new game. But really, it's, it is. And to credit or, or count the reseeding games for 22 teams while eight others are not allowed is not fair. So the decision is, okay, for all intents and purposes, the regular season is over. Now is the time where we can safely move forward with announcing and voting on the regular season awards. So with that in mind, and since voting is currently taking place between uh, July 21st until July 28th <laughs> by the media, so I thought it'd be a good time to make our own selections. I was trying to find our preseason predictions, but it looks like our preseason predictions were only about which teams would make the playoffs. Oh. I don't think we did any awards. So uh, I hope, hopefully I'm wrong. Maybe I can, if I'm able to dig it up, maybe we can talk about it next week. But I wasn't able to find anything we did preseason regarding the individual players, but it was around uh, teams. So with that in mind, let's do some predicting. Yeah, let's start off with rookie of the year, I think. Uh, let's go like with like rookie, MIP, executive, uh, six-man coach, MVP, let's say. So let's go with rookie first. I don't think there's going to be much of a discussion here. And also, before we continue, uh, Jason has given us his, his picks as well, and a lot of them are on the same page that uh, Jay and I are on, so we're just going to bring them up as we go along. But a rookie of the year... You know, it'd be a different conversation if Zion Williams, uh, Zion Williamson played more than uh, 19 games. A handful but, of games? Yeah. Yeah. As, as amazing as they were, and the fact that the guy is bringing the Pelicans back into playoff contention is pretty frightening. But there's a guy who's already made the top eight with a team, yep. even though I love them, that's been struggling usually before for a number of years. But now they look like they have a fresh new start. And it only took the guy a few months. John Morant, I mean, for me, is rookie of the year. Yeah, I, I have. there's no complaints here. Uh, I agree with you. I think that it's possible that he may even win it unanimously. Mm-hmm. And if anyone chooses otherwise, then I think that their voting privileges seriously need to be considered. Because as you pointed out, Zion has only played 19 games, and that's simply not enough. It's not even half the amount of games that are required. So, um, And really, he is the only other player who could who merits consideration. Outside mm-hmm. of that, I think the Nobody. second best in terms of win shares or whatever you want to call any other advanced stats is Kendrick Nunn. And I'm sorry, he is simply not that. So I anticipate this to be mm-hmm. unanimous. And um, yeah, let's move on. Jason also said John Morant, by the way. Yes. Uh, he said he wishes it was Terrence Davis. And and so do I. And I, honestly, I hope <laughs> that the voters at least uh, give him credit and land him on one of the all-rookie teams. But uh, we'll see. Uh, next is Executive of the Year. I'll pass this one off to you first. Who do you have for this one? Yeah, it, it will be very tempting to say to give this award to Masai Ujiri every year, but uh, this, <laughs> this is not the year to give it to him, unfortunately. Uh, despite, uh, you know, and that's the funny thing is with executive of the year, I always feel like it's not necessarily award, an award you should give out 
per year, because what if the fruits of your labor, you know, occur later on, right? If you're someone like Sam Hinkie who got fired, but really he kind of laid the groundwork there for the Sixers. But anyways, I digress. Uh, to my answer, I will go to the same answer that Jason did, which is Sam Presti. I, I really like what he did with OKC there. They it, it appeared that they would be in a bind when when having to trade Paul George, but they really made out well, trading away a superstar like him and ending up I would argue better. So, uh, yeah, I would say Sam Presti. What do you? What about you there? Sam Presti is a great one, especially because of how well Oklahoma City has, uh, you know, withstood the storm that everybody thought Damian Lillard uh, created when he destroyed the team. But look at them; they're still still fighting. They're still doing really well. I don't. I'm really bad at at knowing who the exact person is. So I'm just going to say, for all intents and purposes, the the Pelicans executive front office yes, so that's, um, good. that's a good one geez like look at who they have so like Lonzo Ball is such a gamble because you know on the Lakers he didn't really shine but here he's doing pretty well and he's the one-two punch with Zion Williamson now with the little that we've seen the guy is doing lobs from like full court it's crazy add in JJ Redick who is a solid beast of an offensive player Brandon Ingram giving him a, a, a shot here and look at him he's shining here like the amount of gambles the Pelicans took in a time when they were trying to shed Anthony Davis who was uh, as amazing as he is he was giving them a hard time and not much to work with I mean they're pr- doing really damn well considering so I've got to go with the Pelicans no I like that choice they were in my in my top two slash three that's David Griffin over there who I thought I so remember him yeah, if we remember him from uh, from from Cleveland, right? So he's yes. he's done really well over there, and he definitely deserves some some consideration. Actually, I would I'd probably even venture to change my my vote to him. But you're, I'm good either way. There, those, those are some solid choices and yeah. some really good. I, you know, and I'm just happy that neither of us went with Lawrence Frank because Raptors bias aside, him stalking Kawhi Leonard for a year does not merit executive of the year consideration. I, I'm sorry. Especially and, the year after. I mean, like, come on. Right. <laughs> right. So that's not going to do it for me. Um, even even if you go down to like the other LA team, like, sorry, that's not going to do it for me either. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, between your your choice of, of David Griffin and and Jay's and mine with Sam Presti, I think either one I'm, I'm more than happy with. Let's move on to what is it? What do you want to do? MIP? Let's do six man of the year because I feel like as six good man, as it okay. is, it's it's like the next in line, maybe. Uh, who do you have for that? Uh, Jason, by the way, for this one has uh, Montrez Harrell, I believe. Uh, he just yes. put Montrez. Okay, so Montrez Harrell. I'm just making sure that there's only the one. Which okay, Montrez <laughs> Harrell of the of the Clippers, who has done an exceptional job coming off the bench. So uh, who do you have? Uh, the again, I always. It's it's always hard not to do the Raptors bias here because I do want to give some love to Norm Powell, but he just does not qualify here, unfortunately. He's one of those that could have gotten it had we continued uh, for the rest of the season, but I'm going to give it to Dennis Schroeder. So the part of that is not because I don't want to choose a Clipper, but the Montrez Harrell and, and Lou Williams have, while they've done r- remarkably well, I, I definitely am not going to give it to Lou because he's just a zero on defense. Montrez at least tries. I'm going to give it to Dennis Schroeder of the OKC Thunder because really he's, and he should really be in the MIP conversation as well. He's done so well to 
ensure that he's more than just the other guard on that team, right? I mean, think about it as the Raptors having Lowry and Van Vliet and a third, let's say Terrence Davis, solid point guard that they can rely on night in and night out. So for the Thunder to be able to run out a three-point guard lineup as their closing lineup is more a testament to what Schroeder has become. We already knew that CP is a superstar. We, we already had signs that uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander had the tools to be a star. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Schroeder could turn things around and show his, his worth um, off the bench there deserves all the credit. And I think it'll be a close vote. Uh, my vote's for him. I don't even know because um, both Montrez and, uh, and Schroeder are both really good options and even though you can say the typical Lou Williams selection which happens every year I might go Montrezl Harrell especially because considering the team that he's playing for the Clippers the other six men that he's up against Lou Williams uh, Clippers wise I mean I'm gonna go Montrez. I think I think uh definitely this season we've seen more come out of like what he can bring off the bench than Lou Williams he's still always dependable and always fantastic at, at his role, and he always knows what his role is. Um, I'm going to go with Montrezl Harrell, but uh, uh, Schroeder's a fantastic option as well. With that in mind, let's get into the biggies. So uh, I have one, which I think can work almost as a layover, because I think we all have the exact same answer, and that's Coach of the Year. Do we need to say more than two words? Nope. Nick Nurse. And... Jason said that. I'm sure you're in agreement. Yep. 100%. I'll give a quick piece. Uh, Nick Nurse is uh, God. Okay, so first off, there was the task of, and there's no bias here, and I want to make that frank. Nick Nurse had the task of continuing a team, a championship caliber team, without its FMVP, Kawhi Leonard, and a seasoned vet, uh, Danny Green, whose uh, playoff numbers might not have been as good as the season numbers were but the guy was reliable the guy was fantastic we lost two starters two of our main starters of the entire playoff series uh, all of the series rather and we had to have pascal assuming the leadership role with uh, kyle lowry when he wasn't injured of course but even with kyle lowry it had to be a tandem type of thing you know a defensive leadership role uh, an offensive leadership role had to switch uh who was conducting the offense who was conducting the front court the back court there was a lot of switching that had to happen with this core team that just won a championship. And you had um, great options, but how do you make them work together? So, like, you have Marcus All and Serge Ibaka. Do you play them both at once? Do you save one for later? But the best part is Nick Nurse, as we've learned by now, doesn't have a strategy. He has strategies. He has an entire book. And the guy never does the same thing all the time. The guy switches his up all the time and considering the fact that the the numbers are almost identical if not better to what they were last year with a Kawhi and a Danny Green on our roster at this point if anybody says that Nick Nurse isn't a good coach and he just has good players I think they're out of their goddamn minds to me it's an absolute no-brainer that this guy the, the Raptors are a solid team but the fact that this team as great as it is is in contention with a Giannis-led Bucks or a Jokic-led Nuggets, or a LeBron and Davis-led Lakers, or uh, a Kawhi and Paul George-led Clippers, 
look, I love Kyle Lowry and I love Pascal Siaka, but they're not Anthony Davis. They're not LeBron James. They're not Giannis Antetokounmpo. But because of how they work together and how Nick Nurse runs them, they are of the same contention. Give him the award right now. I don't. I don't even think it's up for debate. If this isn't un- unanimous, there's obvious favoritism, and that's my piece. Uh, I, I think that everything that you said is absolutely. You hit it on the head, and the thing is, with the coach of the year, if you if you can think of other years when the coach of the year was chosen, it is always a difficult decision mm-hmm. because it's not as quantifiable as wins and losses or points scored and points against or anything of that nature. It's very much a, a feel a lot of the times, right? But you're right. Nick Nurse is, is head and shoulders above all the other coaching candidates. And while I'm not as confident that it'll end up being unanimous, I do think that he has distanced himself from his competitors because of all of the obstacles he has overcome. Whether it has been six of the top seven players being injured for at least 10 games each, whether it is losing your your quote-unquote top defender, and becoming a better defensive team. So year year over year, the Raptors' defensive rating has actually improved. There's just so much there to like about what Nick Nurse has done. I mean, even if you want to look at specific game film, just look back at that game in in December against the Mavericks, the 30-point comeback. That 30-point comeback was done with Kyle Lowry and four guys at the very end of the bench. That was Malcolm Miller on the court for the entire fourth quarter. That was Chris Boucher and RHJ on the court. So that is as much a testament to Lowry, I'll admit. But like the strategy that Nick Nurse put in there was incredible. The yep. the, the full court press and all that. So, I mean, we, I could go on and on about how much he deserves this. And you could probably make the case for other coaches, but I think due to what he's had to overcome off-season with the loss of Kawhi and Danny, and then also in-season with all the injuries, and still come out with with such a solid team. Again, without, as you said, without a superstar, really, it's it's incredible. So he deserves it. He'll win it. I think he'll win it quite handily. Mm-hmm. And uh, our our boy Jason agrees as well. So let's let's move on from this. Yeah, now we've got the MIP, the most improved player. Now I think we might all have different answers for this. This is definitely a much more broad discussion in this year, which has offered us much parity in the league. And I think it's been a fantastic starting point for this type of discussion. Like To me, this says, what new generation of players are going to come after LeBron, after Lowry, after... Um, you know, like all of these players that have been around for quite a lot, quite a while, but the new gen is coming in. So I'm going to have you start this one off. Who is your MIP of 2020? Ooh, all right. Um, I'm trying not to be swayed from what I've read recently because my thinking going into this, and I, I, this is my answer, is Brandon Ingram. However, uh, I really do like what uh, John Hollinger recently wrote about Christian Wood and the improvements he's made. But I'm going with Brandon Ingram. A lot of the reason being, there are some similarities to Siakam's campaign last year. Mm -hmm. And that is because with Siakam, his leap was not from guy at the end of the bench. Oh, sorry. It was kind of similar in terms of like, it's it's a guy who didn't get enough run and then made the leap to all-star. And that is what Ingram has done this year, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, I, 
I could make the argument that Siakam was in contention because he was making that next leap, which is even harder, which is from the 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 second star or a, a really solid player into a superstar. Well, he's kind of tailed off a bit since January, and you can understand why with the the increased workload. I am sticking to the reasoning we used last year, right? Which was Ingram's progression throughout the year, similar to Siakam's last year. And it's not just the scoring, um, but I think that his overall leadership has helped the Pelicans stay afloat until Zion came back. And mm-hmm. so for that reason, I'm I'm going with him. And just a quick little shout out to to what John Hollinger wrote about Christian Wood in terms of his progression from like end of the bench guy. No one knew about who he was to you know, someone who is in the top 16 in the NBA in PER, he's, he's really come up there. And I think we're going to hear more about him in years to come, but this simply is not his year. Brandon Ingram is my choice. Uh, quickly, before I continue, just a quick rewind. Um, apparently, Lou Williams has just been quoted as saying, I would really love to share the sixth man award with Trez. And if not shared, I say give it to him outright. So if you're going Clippers voters, basically just hand it over to Montrez. Uh, that's what Lou William, the sixth man of forever, basically said. So to continue, Brendan Ingram is a solid choice because he went from being a player that, unfortunately, I love the Lakers, but being on in such an organization can lead to a lot of toxicity. Like, oh, is this guy a bust? Is this guy actually that good? And seeing him take on this leadership role with a Pelicans team while Zion Williamson, the next coming of the legend, was out, um, you know, it was kind of a mismatch of a team. You know, you had some vets, you had some new players, people who were trying to figure it out, people who were on great teams, but now ended up ended up here like a JJ Redick. And the guy was basically like, hey, listen, I'm going to try and take this on my own back and figure this out. And considering, I think he did an excellent job. So I think that's a solid pick. Um, before I continue, Jason's pick was Bam at a bio, which I think is a very solid pick, considering how he went from being relatively unknown if you weren't watching Miami basketball to being one of the big men of the year. So that's a fantastic pick, I would say. I'm going to go something a little bit different. And it's not the guy who wasn't being looked at. It's the guy who is being looked at and was always being looked at as soon as he entered the league. I think going from rookie of the year to becoming one of the five possible candidates of MVP of the league to me, says so much. To be a rookie of the year is one thing, but the fact that Luka Doncic is one of the top candidates, it's not going to go to him, but he's one of the top candidates for MVP of the league, and the Mavericks are in such a, a fantastic position under his leadership. To me, it's Luka Doncic, where I know it's not going to go to him, but I want to give him that shout-out. It's not even just me being biased as a Mavericks fan, but just considering the fact that the guy in his second year is rivaling Kawhi Leonard. He's rivaling LeBron James. He's rivaling the best of the best. Like, look, I know his his starting position in the All-Star lineup is a little bit of favoritism, but at the same time, I think he completely deserved it. I think as a guy in his second year, the fact that he's already jumped to superstar status and is like comparable with the greats of the league who have been here for 10 years, 15 years, five years, to me, it's Luka Doncic. He is the MIP in my books. Wait, that's a solid choice and someone who I considered as well. I mean, if if we're going to put Russell Westbrook on a pedestal for averaging a triple-double over two consecutive seasons, Luka is at 39-9. and nine. That's Jesus. pretty damn close. So <laughs> he, he definitely deserves that. That's the thing is like when you are Rookie of the Year and you're already on 
you know, the level of fringe all-star to make that leap into superstardom is very difficult. And, mm-hmm. you know, to your point, he's probably made that leap more so than, than what Siakam did this year. So I, I like that pick and, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he ends up winning it as well. Oh, you think he's actually going to win it? Well, you never know. I think uh, this one's completely up in the air. It could be anybody, but like, I wouldn't mind that. However, the MVP race is a little bit more cut and dry. It's not completely set in stone, but for the longest time, there have been two big names. And I want to see what you think. Do you think, because let's be honest, it's nobody else. Do you think it's going to be a back-to-back for Giannis Antetokounmpo? Or do you think it's going to be the final statement in a very illustrious career by LeBron James? What do you think? I think we're all going to agree here. Yes, I do think it is Giannis um, by a, a fairly comfortable margin. I'm not going to say it's a, it's a runaway. I'm not going to say it's close, actually. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that it's a fairly comfortable um, gap between the two of them. I would say I would even argue that the gap between second and third, if we were to do our top three is a bit closer. And, and that would be between LeBron and James Harden. I think that they both have done amazing work for their respective teams. Obviously, LeBron's going to get more love, A, because of his his status as the you know one of the greatest of all time. And of course, the Lakers being number one in the West. So I get why he would get a lot of love. Uh, I just think that I, don't, I wouldn't want to undermine the amazing work that James Harden has done this year. And I think that that merits some consideration. So for me, it is Giannis, an easy number one, and then a LeBron 2A, Harden 2B. So before I say my pick, I just want to let you know that Jason actually said LeBron James. He didn't say Giannis. So there you go. There's a little bit of a disparity there. So uh, we're not all unanimous over here at That's a Wrap either. And I guess this is going to leak into what my actual thought is, so it's not really keeping it a surprise. But let me go with LeBron James first. So considering the fact that he has changed his role on the team for the Lakers, he's become like the playmaker now predominantly as, you know, not just being the offensive option only, um, as he previously was. Like, you know, he was ISO heavy. Of course, he had a hell of a lot of assists. But, like, this year, like, the fact that he's leading his team in assists, considering who's on his team, is pretty crazy. And it's tough because, at the same time, Anthony Davis has is leading the stats in, in so many of the categories for the Lakers, like points, rebounds. It's not just stat-related. It's also, look... On one hand, being a part of a super team or you know a, a big dynamic duo or a big three is easier said than done because you still have to function together. So seeing LeBron approach the Anthony Davis situation has been really interesting because Anthony Davis, I would argue, is outshining LeBron. However, I would argue that LeBron is leading the team by taking a step back. And in a way considering the fact, okay, is he an MVP? No. But what I would say is in this big career of LeBron James, seeing what he's doing right now, he's basically played four of the five positions in his entire career. Now that he's like predominantly a point guard for, for this season of the Lakers. So seeing that to me is a check mark on his career being like, Oh my God, this guy can do anything. Considering the fact that this is is what beyond his 15th year, the guy's still going and he's going as well as he is, I think it's fantastic. However, we're talking MVP. And to me, 
if anything, Giannis has improved from last year when he won MVP. So the fact that he's more dominant, more crazy, he's trying to get that shot down, he's more of a threat. The guy is basically unstoppable, and he clearly did not teeter off from last year when he was shut down in the playoffs. He's still going crazy, and if anything, he is so determined to finally win this year. I don't even think MVP matters to him, but I think he's going to get it anyway. He wants to get that ring. And to get that ring, he had to do everything he could. And as a result, he's going to become MVP again. No argument here. Uh, I, I'm well said. And I think that uh, it would be interesting to have heard uh, Jason's thoughts on, on why he chose LeBron over over Giannis. But uh, there's something else I forgot to ask you on, um, Jason, as well as you in our mm-hmm. list of awards here. We left out one. We forgot about Defensive Player of the Year. Oh, so my bad. I will, I, <laughs> I will give you. I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about that while I spew out my answer. I completely forgot about this as well. The debate for this one is is really interesting because I think that it will actually be a a tight vote. Typically, there's someone that kind of jumps out, but there's about four different names. Well, actually, three different names that that are jumping out in various corners of the internet. There is the Anthony Davis argument. There is the Giannis argument, and there is the Rudy Gobert argument. So. All three of them, I will say, are have put together very, very solid defensive seasons. And it's very hard to decipher between the three of them. And I think that that's what you'll end up seeing in the final voting. However, someone's got to win. And it, it's almost like I could go with a three-sided coin flip here and be happy with any of those choices. Yeah. But I'm going to go with Giannis. I, well, from a statistical standpoint, I mean, he had more defensive win shares than anyone else in the NBA. He's the league leader in defensive rating, but also he is the, he's the person that he's the, the person that oils the engine that is the Bucks defensive system. And when you have the length that he has, the quickness that he has, and I'm not to single out any specific play as, as an indictment to his deserving of this award, but, if you remember the All-Star game and LeBron James possibly hitting a, I don't know if it was the game winning or almost one of the last points in that All-Star game, and Giannis stretching out and blocking him, I, that's like the signature defensive play of the year for me. Mm-hmm. While it was in an exhibition game, it was a, a sign of what you have seen as a Bucks fan or as just an NBA fan all year long from Giannis. So I'm giving it to him. Although I could be easily persuaded to pick Gobert, who is the defensive anchor on a Utah Jazz team, which actually isn't really, maybe there's a hot take, they're not really ripe with defensive gurus on there. But because he's there, because he can switch around and be very versatile in any lineup that is thrown out there, he deserves a lot of credit, as well as Anthony Davis, who is just an absolute monster and the perfect compliment to LeBron James and his quest to try to climb up the mountain of greatest of all time and get another championship. But Anthony Davis is an absolute beast on the back line there for the Lakers. So yeah, I'm good at all three, but I'm choosing Giannis. Oh God. Yeah. This one's tough. Um, obviously, uh, as you pointed out, we don't know Jason's opinion on this one. Um, yeah. Cause it, it is 
nobody else is going to be brought up unless you're thinking maybe a Bam Adebayo or something. But I don't think that's going to happen, not this year. I think uh, right now, between those three, and I agree it is going to be those three, Rudy Gobert, I would argue, one of the best defensive players in the league. Like, defensive heavy, because, you know, he's got his offense, but his offense usually runs on defense. You know, rebounding, for instance, the guy's not exactly shooting anytime soon. So he's an obvious standout because his role is extremely apparent. Anthony Davis, akin to what I was just saying about LeBron James, becoming the playmaker more so than anything, what did I say that he stood out in? He stood out in rebounds. He stood out in blocks on the Lakers. So clearly, you know, he's offensively doing really well, but he's also, as you said, a defensive powerhouse. So he's clearly a fantastic option for this. And one of uh, a lot of people's picks, actually, I would say is that a lot of people are going with Anthony Davis. However, I might have to agree with Giannis and it's not, uh, you know, a huge leap ahead. Agree. Like, only slightly, because these are all three fantastic options. I'm going to say Giannis, because if you compare the teams that everybody is on, I would argue that LeBron James is quite defensive as well, as are a bunch of other Lakers on the team. Uh, you know, you also have JaVale McGee. Uh, you look at the uh, at the Jazz, you know, somebody like Connolly or uh, Spider Mitchell. They're not exactly only offense. Like, they kind of juggle it around. While the Bucks have balanced in there as well they're so offensively heavy if you really think about it you know you have chris middleton chucking up threes you have brooke lopez who was turned from you know more of like a like a close kind of basketball player to like the center who could shoot threes all the goddamn time like there are so much of the defense that runs strictly through Giannis, the cleaning up of the missed shots, the the storming down the lane because they're trying to block the open threes, the opposing team rather, uh, on the defensive end, you know, he's going in, he's running from the perimeter, he's doing everything. The guy is crazy on defense and he's not like he's their only option, but clearly the team has enough trust in Giannis to be the cleanup guy and still remain the, the dominant force offensively. So the guy's not really doing everything, but he is kind of doing everything. Like the Bucks, the Bucks system is pretty crazy if you think about it. And that trust in what he can do defensively, single-handedly, never mind what the rest of the team can do, which is still a lot, but single-handedly when they run these plays where he's kind of doing everything, they're still first in the league. They're still first by quite a bit. They're still like, unca- like you can't catch them in the East. They're still heavy contenders to make it out of the East, heavy contenders to even win this thing, depending on who you talk to. And a lot of that comes from this system, which relies heavily on Giannis being the main defensive option on both ends of the court. So to me, it's going to be Giannis as well. And uh, while you were speaking, Jason did chime in with his defensive player of the year, and his choice was Kawhi Leonard. So, Ooh. you know, again, this is this is another one where we could have probably had a little bit of a debate here. Um, but his choice is Kawhi. In a nutshell, you could argue that he is probably the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Uh, this sounds like it's a legacy award. 
don't argue that choice because we already have seen as Raptors fans what Kawhi can do and how he can carry a team. But uh, I think you and I already are in agreement that Giannis should win it. So it'll be interesting to see how this voting shakes out. And, you know, this this has been a very fun episode, albeit without Jason. We, be, we do miss you, buddy. We hope to have you on here next week. And, yeah, so I think that's a good way uh, of, of wrapping it up here. Dre, uh, where can we find you, buddy? You can find me on Twitter at Andreas Babs, and you can follow my film editorial and review website, Films Fatale, F-I-L-M-S-F-A-T-A-L-E.com, no spaces. My top 100 films of the 80s list is going to be up August 3rd. It's already finished. It's just waiting to be put up, and I'm already well into the 70s, so that's going to be up um, sometime in October, I believe. So look forward to those and to daily content pretty much uh, Monday to Friday. And Jason, uh, we hope to talk with you soon. And uh, we miss you, buddy. Dave, where can we find you? You got to make us wait till August for it to come out. Come on, man. What a tease. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can find find me on Twitter at Rosalisaurus. You can find uh, my writing, which uh, I have brought back the weekly wrap up, which looks at the Raptors games of the week. Because guess what? We have games. I mean, that's funny. We did a whole episode. We didn't even make our predictions, but those are just scrimmages. Mm. We'll, we'll bring back the predictions next week. And we'll talk about the games of the week when um, when the reseeding games get started. Um, as well, I will be on doing another show on the Locker Room app. Uh, I've done a couple already. And right now it is uh, an app that's in beta form. So if you are interested in joining in, it's like a, it's kind of like part podcast, part radio. We're, we're live um, listeners and viewers can chime in and be part of the conversation it's, it's, it's a fun app uh, hit us up if you're interested in jumping on that beta version and trying it out i'll be hosting uh, a show on sunday and uh yeah so in place of jason i'll try to do the sign off here and i'll see if i can I, I definitely won't be able to do it as good as he does but make sure you hit us up on spotify or google play or any of your podcatchers make sure that you Show us some love on there because that's how, how we continue to bring you the content that you love to hear with your favorite team, the NBA rap, uh, the defending champion, Toronto Raptors. So yeah, you can find us on on Twitter at That's A Rap Pod and all your other podcatchers. Make sure to catch us there. And I think on that note, that's a wrap. Good luck, Kevin Garnett. Please be able to purchase the Timberwolves. I want them to be good. I can't wait for KG to retire his own jersey. Bye.